Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles again to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. If you don't have a traditional Bible and you'd like one and you're comfortable, just raise your hand. One of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take out your smart device and open up the YouVersion app. It's also called the Bible app. And all the notes and scriptures, everything except for pictures, have already been uploaded. If you're watching us online or at one of our other gatherings, love you guys and so glad uh, that you guys are part of our family. Some of them are literally a part of my family. We have gatherings in Canada. We have gatherings in Detroit. And so I'm so uh, grateful for the opportunity to be able to come from here to wherever it is that you are and super grateful to be able to come from here to right here where you are. And so I love you guys. And was just in the back just thinking about that, thinking about how grateful I am. Woke up this morning so uh, grateful, filled with gratitude for the fact that God has allowed us to give the last 10 years of our life to this community and how much we love it and how much we love you guys. I wish I could text you that. Then you could save it. You could screenshot it. But do you ever think about uh, how often you text Uh, If you're like me, uh, it's probably too much. I said to you this past week that the average American sends 72 texts per day. But when I think about how often I stare at my phone, 72 just seems way too low, doesn't it? I'm I'm not much of a phone guy. I, I don't really like talking on the phone. I avoid it at all costs, mostly because I don't like small talk. I don't know if you're like that, but, but uh, you know, you, you go to a party and you have to fill the air with words that you don't really mean. Like, oh, your hair is uh, so, have you lost, it, you don't really mean it. It's just like a, a small talk. It's like the MSG of words. It's a filler. There's no nutritional content. So in my hate of small talk, texting has changed my life. Because texting is simplified. It's streamlined. It's saved me so much time. I can just get to the point. I don't have to wade through all the how are you's or the what are you doings and are your kids. Like I, like I can just say what I need to say and I can just keep moving. Uh, but, but texting can be dangerous. Uh, it, it's hard to have context. It's hard to hear tone. It's hard to understand intentions and easy to make assumptions. Uh, Have you ever gotten mad at or in a fight with someone because of a text and found out later that you misunderstood the meaning or the intention of the text? Of course you have. We all have. Who knew that the word fine had so many meanings? (laughs) Like, did you know that that the letter K is offensive? to people under a certain age group. I didn't know that. I would text my kids, and, and uh, my kids would text me, and then I would text them back K, and then finally my son texts me back. He goes, bro, why are you K-ing me? And I was like, because uh, I didn't want to waste the time hitting O? Like, what are you talking about? I didn't even know that K w- was offensive. So as much as I hate it, there are situations where desperate times 
call for desperate measures, and I need to hear the tone of the conversation. So I have to break down and use my voice rather than my thumbs. Uh, I want to talk about that today in a message we're calling, I'm Desperate. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. We're grateful. Thank you for who you are. God, you know, this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. You've brought me back so many times over the last month to those words that, God, I, I want to live. I know that Thanksgiving is this week, and so maybe that's why you've continually pushed me to a spirit of gratitude. But today, God, I am grateful for you. Grateful for your heart, grateful for your mind, and grateful for the fact that you've shared those two things with me. Grateful that you have allowed me to live in relationship with you. And so today I pray for my friends in this place that our hearts and our minds would be changed. Some of us are desperate, God. We're, we're desperate in the good way, but some of us are desperate in the bad way. And so God, I pray that your heart and your mind would be ours in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, have you ever... Uh, tried to go back and see something that you texted someone and realized how often you actually text that person? Uh, that, that, that happened to me the other day. I, I was looking for something that I had previously sent to Pastor Sonny, and I realized I text her a lot, like, which I think is a good thing. I think it would be bad if I didn't text my wife a lot, but, but when I say a lot, I mean a lot. And more often than not, they are MSG messages. They are meaningless messages. I send her pictures of food and shoes and listings for cars because those are pretty much, other than her and my kids, they're pretty much like those are the three things that I love in life. So even though I'm not really looking to buy a car, I'm always looking to buy a car. So I'll send her listings with something like this. This is so sick or dope or just this is the one. This is when she knows I'm hot on this. I'll just text mm, like lots of like three rows of mm, and she almost never responds. Except the other day, I sent her a listing for a 73 Nova, and they excitedly said, this is the car I had when we met. This is how you knew I was excited. It was in all caps with lots of exclamation marks. This is the car I had when we met. She just replied, still ugly. <laughs> uh, so typically, she almost never responds to those kind of texts, but... But in my positivity, I just assume that because of the sickness of the cars that it leaves her speechless, so I just keep sending them. Uh, there, there is one thing that I text her, though, that she almost always responds to. It's this picture. <laughs> I send it to her almost every time I finish writing my messages because that's how I feel when I'm done. Like, yeah! I don't know what it was. Like, there was a card. I, said, I think I saw that at Quick Trip, and I took a picture of it. This is the second week in a row he's made a quick trick analogy. Yes, I know. It is my jam. It's, it's my jam. It's like my mall that I go to. You can get everything you need at Quick Trip. I'm just saying. So, uh, so anyway, I text, I text Pastor Sonny a lot. I text my kids, Pastor Barry and my friend Alan Griffin a lot. I text myself a lot too. I don't know if that ranks up there with talking to yourself, uh, but if I want to remember something or if, if I read a good article or a good quote, 
I'll text it to myself so I don't forget. Sometimes I send those texts to myself as voice messages, like if, like if I hear a good joke or, or if, I, if I get an idea for a message, I, I want to hear that audibly so I don't, I don't miss the tone or, or lose the context. Like I'm, I'm always looking and listening for content for messages. I have hundreds of notes in my phone that, that just say, you know, like message idea. Because I take it really seriously that God has chosen me to speak on his behalf. And so I have to be careful of the voices that I'm listening to because not everything that sounds good is good. N not every good idea is a God idea. And there's a really great story in Matthew chapter 14 where we see that modeled. It's, it says, uh, immediately after this, after what? After the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Afterward, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, every time I read that, I think, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land because a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right, he said. I am here. I am here. Do you see how tone can change the context of a sentence that you're reading? Most of you probably have read that, that sentence and you've read, I am here. Do you see how the cadence changes the context? You see, Jesus wasn't saying, I am here. Jesus was saying, I am here. He, he was identifying himself. Like, like in the context, it was like he was saying, I am is here. And so he said, I am here. Don't be afraid. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, you see how that makes more sense now? Lord, if it's really you, be, before you read it with the proper cadence, why would he have said, Lord, if it's really you, two seconds ago, he thought it was a ghost until the ghost opened, opened its mouth. He said, he said, I am here. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come walking on the water. Even in the middle of his distress, Peter didn't want to listen to the wrong voice. You know, just because you're in danger doesn't mean you have to be in desperation. Ask yourself two questions. Where was the last place Jesus told him to go? Out into the lake. Where was the last place Jesus told him to be? In the boat. So, so Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come because I'd rather be discerning in danger than disobedient in desperation. Desperation can be a great deceiver. Desperate people do desperate things, don't they? Desperate people will steal money from their mother to feed their drug addiction. Desperate people will install special software on their computer to hide their porn habit. Desperate people will create elaborate stories to cover the tracks of their infidelity. Desperate people do desperate things. Do you think Peter wasn't desperate? He, he could have easily jumped off that boat in search of relief. People do it all the time. There are people in our culture who jump ship at the first sign of struggle. 
they jump ship on their marriages or their careers because in the middle of their struggle, they're listening to the wrong voice, a voice that says she'll treat you the way you deserve to be treated, or this company doesn't value the effort that you're putting in. They jump ship at the first sign of struggle and make no mistake, these guys were in a struggle. They were in uncharted waters, literally. In, in Jesus' day, Jewish people were terrified of large bodies of water. Uh, they, they often referred to them as the abyss. They, they saw large bodies of water as a symbol of darkness, as a symbol of chaos. It actually was a picture of hell to them. And, and a lot of them would have actually believed that not only were the depths of large bodies of water inhabited by sea monsters, but they were the place where Baal battled other gods over the control of the shores, and they believed that's where the waves came from. They were terrified of large bodies of water and the Sea of Galilee, where this story takes place. It's certainly qualified to them as a large body of water, about eight miles wide from east to west and about 12 miles long from north to south. In places, it plunged to depths of 200 feet. It would have been imposing to them, even to the men who made their living harvesting its fish. Uh, interestingly, most, Jew most Jews didn't know how to swim, including fishermen. And, and so the fishermen, they avoided the deep water. They almost exclusively fished the shallows, fished the edges. Come on, that, just that right there. That, that's a whole message right there. How many times are you sticking to the shallows? How many times are you sticking to the fringes? How many times are you sticking to the edges? It's one of the reasons why Peter protests when Jesus tells them to push out into the deep water and let their nets down for a catch. See, see before you know, this is what I love about Scripture. The more you learn about Scripture, the more Scripture changes. And it doesn't mean that what you read in it the first time is wrong. It doesn't mean that what you read in it the first time is contradictory. It just means that what you read in it at the moment that you knew what you knew was what you needed to know when you needed to know it. But the more you need to know, the more God lets you know so that you'll know what you need to know when you need to know that. And so when God begins to reveal things in Scripture, it begins to expand the Scripture. And as it begins to expand the Scripture, it begins to expand our minds. And when it begins to expand our minds, it begins to expand our hearts. And when our hearts are expanded, our reach is expanded. And so before, you used to think that he didn't want to go back out into the deep because he was lazy, because he was tired. It wasn't because he was tired. It was because he was scared. And sometimes God tells you to do something and you act like you're tired, but you're not tired. You're just scared. And it's okay for you to admit that you're scared because Peter was like, you must be tripping. I ain't going out in there. There's dragons out there. You don't believe that? Look at the old map. They, they, they got, they got uh, uh, old maps. That What do they have? The, the picture of the old map in the corner. Some dragon. You've seen the picture. That, and they believed that out in the depths, those things were waiting to devour them. And so they hugged the edges. And so Jesus said, hey, bro, let's push out into the deep waters and let down our nets. And Peter said, nah, bro, we're cool. We've been fishing all night. And in Jesus' mind, he was like, yeah, you've been fishing all night, but you've been fishing in the wrong place. If you would just go deep, and if some of you would just go deep, if some of you would just get out the shallows, maybe your relationship with God. See, the level of the depth of your sacrifice is the level of the depth of your relationship. 
Like, I, I, like when I was a new believer, I lived my life on the edges. I lived my life in the shallows. But the more I get to know Jesus, the more I want to become courageous. And, and I want to push out into deeper waters and learn deeper things. And the deeper the things I learn, the deeper my relationship with him grows. So Jesus says, push out into the depths. And Peter says, nah, bro, we're fine. They did everything they could to avoid the deep waters, especially as the center of the sea. And the reason why they avoided the center is because it was a widespread belief that the center of the sea was steaming with spirits, what the people called phantasma. It's Greek for phantom or ghost. So picture this. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. So the disciples, they began to work their way around the edges, rowing in the shallows, taking the longest route possible so they could see the shore and touch the bottom. And while they worked the edges, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, watch this, far from the land. Because a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy, but they were fighting heavy waves. For six to eight hours, they struggled and strained, fighting their fear. They, they rode and they rode and they rode, desperate to avoid the, the depths and stay close to the shore. But the volume of the wind and the violence of the waves, it pushed and pulled, tossed and thrust them to the center of the sea. We're at about three o'clock in the morning. Jesus came to them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him, they screamed in terror, thinking he was a phantasma, a phantom, a ghost. And interestingly, this story is the only place in all the scriptures that that word is used. And I believe that this scripture is the, this story is the only place that that word was used because they were trying to press the point that they were at the center of the sea. And anybody who would have read this would have went, oh, bro, they must, they must have been way offshore because if they saw a phantasma cat, bro, it would, have just, it would have just clicked with them. And, and so they pushed out to the center of the sea and they, they saw a phantasma. And as they screamed in terror, a voice came from the center of the chaos identifying itself. Recognizing their panic and realizing their state of mind, Jesus spoke to them at once. It's all right. I am as here. Don't be afraid. But Peter understood that in the middle of chaos, sometimes you start hearing voices. And those voices, they can be deceptive. Uh, a few years ago, I ran the Honolulu Marathon, and I had trained for months. I, I, I used this program that, that worked your endurance up from being able to run the first half mile all the way up to being able to complete the 20-mile practice run. And, and, uh, and I, I was like really serious about this marathon. First of all, because I was buff. 55, 60 pounds overweight when I felt like God uh, wanted me to do it. I thought, man, I have, I have a hard time. If I got to run after my dog, I got a hard, man, I get to, bro, you need to stop. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm exhausted. And, uh, 
And so I, I took it like really serious. I researched the best gear for me to use, which shorts and shirts worked best for my body type, which socks and which shoes were best for my feet. And I worked for months to perfect my playlist so that certain songs would come on at certain times, that, that they would come on when I needed to slow my heart rate and they would come on when I needed uh, them to give me motivation to push. Like, uh, when I needed to hear Adele, and when I needed to hear Bon Jovi, Blaze of Glory, like there's some, like I didn't want to hear Blaze of Glory too quick because I, I might, I might would kick it in and then I'd suddenly at mile two, I had just used up all my jet fuel. Like I needed to hear, I needed to hear. Yeah, when I heard, I need to hear that at mile 20. You know what I'm saying? You hear that at mile 20 when you're about to die and you either need an Oreo or wanted dead or alive. I'm just saying, because I felt like I was, I was already dead. And so my mind was tuned to that playlist. And by the time I got to Honolulu, I was ready. But the morning of the race, as I was eating breakfast in my hotel room, my phone decided to launch the newest update. Unbeknownst to me, it started downloading on the hotel Wi-Fi, and I didn't notice until I was halfway to the starting line and decided to, to send an MSG message to Pastor Sonny and send a picture of all of the people. And when I went to send that text, I noticed the little pinwheel just spinning because my phone had started the update on Wi-Fi when I left the Wi-Fi. It got stuck in the update, and the update wouldn't finish until I reconnected to Wi-Fi. So for the next six hours, I was forced to run with no music, with no motivation. All I could hear was the sound of my breath, my heart, my feet on the pavement moving, moving slower than I wanted. And it didn't take long until I started hearing a voice telling me the task was too hard, telling me I'd never finish, telling me I should just quit. And in my distress, in my desperation, I had to remember why I had decided to do the run in the first place to raise money for girls who were victims of human trafficking, girls who couldn't quit. But in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of your distress, sometimes you start hearing voices, and those voices could be deceptive because the enemy is the great counterfeiter. He'll speak messages that make sense, that sound right. Messages like, she'll treat you the way you deserve to be treated, or this company doesn't value the effort you're putting in. And because those things sound right and make sense, we say, yeah, I do deserve to be treated better. I, I do deserve to be valued more. But not everything that sounds good is good. Not every good idea is a God idea. So even though that voice sounded like and identified itself as his savior, Peter did what his friend John would talk about later when he said that we should test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. And Peter said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come. If it's you, in the middle of the place I've avoided my whole life, in the center of the sea, help me to look into the face of my deepest fear and make me do the impossible. Make it so I can walk on the very water I can't even swim in. He, he, was, he was that dedicated to not listening to the wrong voice because he'd rather be discerning in danger than disobedient in desperation. In his distress, in his desperation, he had to remember why he decided to be in the boat in the first place. Because Jesus told him to be. 
He didn't want to stray from the last place that Jesus had told him to go out into the lake or the last place that Jesus had told him to be, which was in the boat. So he said, if it's really you, tell me to come. Even though the boat was flooded with water and he was flooded with fear, he he said, I know we're in danger in this storm, but this is where our Savior told us to be. Until he tells us something different, this is exactly where we need to be. So Lord, if it's really you, tell me to go somewhere else and do something else. And in that, he showed us just because you're in danger doesn't mean you have to be in desperation. And I wonder, where are you feeling desperate today? Where are you telling yourself to jump ship? In your marriage, with your kids, in your finances, in your career, with church, with your relationship with God? What is it that you've been expecting? Where is it that you found yourself floating that you felt like, where, where, where is it that God would really send me to this place? Why, like why? Have you ever felt like you were in such danger that you think, surely I must be on my own course? You, you, uh, your, your career starts to take a hard left And so, so because of that hard left, you start to doubt that you're where you're supposed to be, but maybe God is pushing you so that you'll start your own business. Maybe, maybe God is, maybe God is turning up the heat in your relationship so you'll turn your eyes back on it and start focusing on it. You know, it's really easy for you to get yourself off track in a relationship and start to take it for granted. Maybe there's pressure in your relationship because God is trying to get you to turn your eyes back on the relationship. Maybe there's pressure in your relationship with him because he's trying to get you to turn your eyes back on Jesus. What area is it that you feel like you need to be jumping ship? Can I challenge you to ask yourself, where's the last place Jesus told me to go? Where's the last place he told me to be? Wherever that is, as hard as it is, as scary as it is, keep rowing, keep fighting, because I promise you, he's gonna meet you in that place. So be strong and courageous for the Lord our God. He goes with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Will you close your eyes all across this place? He'll never, where is it that you're looking to jump ship? Maybe, uh, maybe you're in this place and, and you, uh, you feel this disconnect from everything spiritual. Like you could be somebody who you, you grew up in a spiritual environment or, uh, or you grew up in some sort of a, some sort of a setting where, uh, you know, Christianity was uh, afterthought. I think God leads us and he directs us in some of the most difficult times. And uh, some of you have been going through a really difficult time. And so because of that, you've even been questioning God's existence. Uh, but, but you came here today and, uh, and you heard something like during worship. You felt something. I see this all the time, people. They'll feel something during worship. And because, because you felt something, you, you got scared by that. Especially uh, guys, we get, get caught off guard by emotions. You know, uh, the church we call God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Sometimes that feeling can be scary, but I feel like today, in the midst of that, that spirit, that ghost was speaking 
to some of you saying, I am here. He is here. He is calling you. He is beckoning you. And so this morning, I want to give people an opportunity to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And, and that can be a, a confusing thing to hear. Lord, that's such an old thing to say, but anybody who watches PBS understands that that just means your ruler, the person who's over you. Uh, when you say Savior, this story really reflects that idea of needing a Savior. And so uh, the idea of coming into a relationship with the Lord is this idea of being rescued. So maybe you came in here today and you feel like spiritually you need to be rescued. Um, that only happens by doing two things, by you confessing that you have sin in your life and, and number two, professing that you believe Jesus can change that. So I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do both of those today. And here's how, in just a moment, I'm gonna ask for people to do two things. First is to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down. That's gonna be your form of confession. Secondly, I'm gonna pray a few lines in a prayer, then I'm gonna pause. And when I pause, I'm gonna ask everybody in here to repeat it after me. And if you repeat it, and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. So if you're here and you say, Sean, uh, I, don't, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to before I leave this place with nobody to look around, would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks, 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 thanks. Thanks. You miss anybody? Okay, I'm gonna... I'm going to pray this, and if you pray it after me, then uh, the Bible says you'll be saved. So say this. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make me different. Make me new. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're in here and you say, Sean, I'm a Jesus guy, or I'm a Jesus girl. I'm saved. But you're in here and you'd say, Sean, for whatever reason, I'm just, I'm feeling desperate. Desperate in whatever area. Maybe you've been contemplating making some bad choices. And you say, Sean, I need you to pray. If you're in here and you say, Sean, I'm struggling. I feel desperate with nobody looking around. Would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you? Man. So Jesus, for so many people in this place, I pray your grace. I pray your mercy. I pray your peace. I pray in Jesus' name that you'll give us this calm that surpasses all understanding. Make us not desperate. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew On That. The Chew On That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week.